Hello, and welcome to episode two of Boozy's Legal Funhouse. Now, before we get started, you need to know this episode, much like the next three episodes, are part of a backlog upload from the live streams of the Legal Funhouse that are done on Twitch and YouTube. My guest for this episode was Hab Shep, uh, who is an actual person whose name does not want to be used here, but was a former public defender and an old law school friend of mine. Because this was a live stream, and I was not at that point planning on using the audio for a podcast, you're going to hear notification sounds. I'd apologize, but I don't care, and some of them are pretty damn funny. In the future, we will remove those. So please, stay tuned and enjoy Episode 2 of Boozy's Legal Funhouse, a pup lick defender. Hey everybody, how are you doing? And welcome to Boozy's Legal Funhouse. I'm your host, the Boozy Barrister, Boozy Badger, whatever the hell you want to call me. Oh, now the chat fucking works. Now now the chat, now the chat comes up and wants to show me things as we continue. I'm your host, the Boozy Barrister, the Boozy Badger, and as you can see, we have a guest with us tonight. I will get to who they are here in a moment. Before we do, at the beginning of every stream, I have to read off the names of the Patreon supporters of LawyersAndLiquor.com at the $5 level and above. So, special thank you out there to Jeremy the Head, Fox, and Dragor, Jack of All Corks, Nikolai, Wayland Roche, Beaton, Dozer the Trash Panda, A of the Weather Fox, Mark Beckwar, Mama T, Uncle Kage, Lisa Lupe, Mark Phaedrus, Netherlink, Petroff, Neutrino, Tezcat, Magic Jack, Tyrant, Buddy Good Boy Esquire, CC Otter, David Hunter, Ed B. Galley, Fett, Ghost Goat, Grace Jing, Gollinger, Ian Delahorn, Jason Knight, Maelstrom, Mark Whipple, Madelaire, Michael Blocker, Pandemonium, Hawk, Sean Rabbit, The Dragon Show, Wheelie, uh, and is that it? I think that's it. That's all of them. And a special thank you to all the $1 level supporters. If I read your names off, I'd be here all night, so we're not going to do that. So welcome to Boozy's Legal Funhouse, where we sit down, we talk about law with another attorney and various lawyerly things. Uh, tonight's guest is... Hi, I'm that, Habs. Yeah, that's, that's your fucking cue, buddy. You that's, didn't rehearse this. That's your, God yeah, it's not supposed to be rehearsed. Just because you've known me for almost 10 years. Uh, yeah, but you know, like, I shouldn't have to rehearse an introduction. I, I should I shouldn't have to sit there and be like, and tonight's guest is Hello. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, especially Canadian with the Fox for subscribing for their thirty-first month in a row. Uh, which brings up the next point. Uh, as you can see, subscriptions are still turned on for the Twitch channel. If you want to help support us that way, uh, you can also toss your bits off my face. I'll even make Habs do a little licking motion if you put your bits in his face. Or you can go to patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor support us that way. Or go to boozybadger.com, look at the merchant slide, or tip into the bank account. Just the tip, though, I don't want to get pregnant. Uh, welcome to Boozy's Legal Funhouse, where we talk about matters of law and lawyerly things. Tonight, our special guest is, as stated, Habs the Shep. Habs is actually an old friend of mine, an old colleague of mine. I have known Habs for many years at this oh, point yeah. in time. Dave Rub Lister, bits rubbing bits all over face. our face. Give him a little lick there, Habs. See? There it is. See? Whoop. Habs and I have been friends for many years. We are colleagues. We are law school classmates. We now practice uh, very near each other in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Uh, I brought Habs on tonight to talk about legal issues so that we could kind of have a, a lawyer bullshit session. Now, Habs, tell, uh, tell everybody here a little bit about what you do and what you've done. So currently what I do is I represent the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation and I, I represent them for um, any matters which may arise in court. The majority of what I deal with are uh, violations in the motor vehicle code that will trigger somebody's a license suspension for a driver. Uh, those license suspensions are actually appealable uh, separate, completely separate from any criminal action that may arise out of it. Um, so I will deal with those and I will also deal less frequently but more involved cases involving real property and the one thing in law school that they say you're never going to have to know it's eminent domain that's what i'm dealing <laughs> that's you're, you're what i'm dealing deal with. with you're dealing with eminent domain now because when PennDOT wants to improve a road or widen a road they're going to have to take grandma's house and that's what we did i i mean i'm not sure that's exactly how it works but we'll go no, with it i mean like we'll, we'll say that's what i've had eminent domain cases they're not that bad no, it's, it's, oh, it's just a fight over money. That's all like, it ever is. Like, yeah. I mean, we're, ta we're taking the property. It's just how much you Yeah, get. you know, we're, we're going to get your house. Yeah. Yeah, that's, 
What what did you do before you were a pin dot attorney, Habs? For about four years and change before that, I was a public defender. I am I am the lawyer that they say if you can't afford one, one will be provided to you. Oh, uh, how'd you get into that? Uh, it was a matter of there was a. So when I went to when I you know when we were in law school, it was I don't ever want to be in the criminal room and I don't want to be a defense attorney. And then the job opened up and I needed money, so I became a public defender. <laughs> that's pretty much what happened. I, I love how that's that's your. I needed cash. Uh, yeah, you know, you know I, I I I had to get paid. Motherfuckers were not paying my invoices at that point in time. That's essentially what was happening. Yeah. Because I was doing like some small firm landlord tenant types of types of deals like that. Now we we went to the same law school. We we did. Yeah, how, how did we meet? Not. How, how did mean, we like, meet? The very first interaction. Yes. Yes. How, how did we meet, Habs? Oh, so everybody that was accepted to our school uh, was invited to an outing at like there was a baseball game or something. So there was an out. All the accepted students got to go. And who do I meet? But this asshole with a cane, because I think you had just had your car accident or something. No, no, no. My car accident was years later. Uh, OK, that was I had I'd had a bone spur. Actually. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, I was, uh, I was Colonel Bone Spurs at the time. <laughs> so I meet. I think what it was the six of us. It was you. It was the woman that obsessed with the penis-shaped candy. It was Devin, <laughs> Devin four names. Devin four names. Oh, and the other really awkward kid that we went to school with, and somebody else that I which can't one? There were so many. There were so many oh, awkward right. people in our in our year. Yeah, that, that's true. So I meet you there, and I'm thinking, oh my god, what the hell did I just get into? Then I end up sitting next to you all first year of class. The entire one L year, I'm sitting right next to this household drinking my Bailey's coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About the, I have a story about this asshole and his Bailey's coffee, which is uh, we we had a person in front of us who we used to say was crazy smart, crazy being the operative term, uh, and it was not uncommon for them to come in hungover on a regular basis. And one day, I turned to our good friend Habs here, and I said. Um, God almighty, she smells like a distillery. And Hab, <laughs> Habs is quiet for a moment and then goes, that's me. And I go, he goes, that's me. I put Bailey's in my coffee every morning before class. It's not me per se. It wasn't pour, leaking out of my pores. It was my coffee. Thank you very much. But but all year I'd sat there wondering how this person had gotten so shit-faced uh, and, and was still doing well in law school at that point in time. To find out that it was actually a, at that point, just giant person who liked to show me weird shit on their laptop during class. Like, the funny thing about Habs is Habs thought I was the normal one. Yeah, well, yeah, sadly. Like, like Habs believed I was normal at that point in time. Then, like, years later, uh, when I fell ass backwards in the furry fandom, like, Habs is like, have you seen this shit? And I'm like, that's me. (laughs) So... Uh, Thanks, Rocky Mountain Furcon. I'll never forget it. Yeah, that, yeah. Look at this. One of us, one of us, Sue Deer. Thank you very much for subscribing. One of us is on a professional stream as an attorney speaking to people about law and lawyerly things, wearing a dog head. And yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm the weirdo. I'm oh, I'm well, the weirdo. You know, it's so disconcerting, by the way, to to look at your face on the stream and be like oh oh i know that person you me <laughs> i'm the weird one are you kidding me you're the one that got into this first and then i'm the, oh there go all my happy memories of boozy before he was boozy look you can still have happy memories of me no one's stopping you were there really well i guess there were some like i am i am fucking i am offended Holy shit! Do I really have any happy memories of you? <laughs> well, see, all the, all the memories are tied to law school, which is three years of not happy memories. Oh, all those evenings we spent together going over legal principles at diners, at, in living yeah. rooms, <laughs> drinking the grape drink. Oh, the grape. Th- the thanks grape for bringing drink. that up. 
Well, we'll get we'll get into that some more. We're, we're gonna we're gonna get to the grape drink, but uh, there's some things that I normally do on these streams. One of them is we talk a little bit about some legal news, and I sent you some articles right before we started. Yeah. Uh, did you get a chance to look at them, or are you winging it? Uh, I was briefly reading the one I did not hear about, so that one I'll probably be winging. The one with uh, the the shining and all that. Oh, uh, that, I'm glad you said that because that's the very first one. Oh, perfect. Uh, this is from the ABA Journal. I talked about it uh, not too long ago on the Twitter box, but it is a prosecutor's use of a Jack Nicholson photograph from The Shining was prejudicial error, rules the Supreme Court of New Jersey. Uh, to give you a, just kind of a brief rundown of it, uh, what had happened in this case is a gentleman had walked into a bank, uh, and he walked up to the teller, he handed the teller a note that said, uh, give me all of your hundreds, fifties, and twenties. Uh, he doesn't say anything. He's not threatening. His hands aren't hidden at all. Uh, the teller reaches over to place uh, a bundle that has a GPS tracker in it in the bag. And he says, no, not that one. Leave that one where it is. He doesn't threaten. Not, no, I'll kill you, you bitch. Nothing like that. Uh, now, this becomes a thing, and it becomes a thing because there are uh, different levels of crimes, uh, as Habs can, can very clearly tell you about. I'm trying to find a good image of this picture. As Habs can, like, I, <laughs> I love it. I'm so prepared. Like, here's something we're going to talk about. Let me find the image. Um, oh, you're winging it, just like law school. Yeah. Just like we did just in like, school. Just like, yeah, just like we did in law school, you know. Did you read that case? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. it's good, it's good. Uh, the the prosecution had tried to hit him with, I believe, uh, a second-degree mm -hmm. felony for uh, robbery, which requires, in New Jersey, the use of force or the threat of force. Uh the next charge was a theft charge, which was a third-degree felony, which did not require the use of force or the threat of force. Now, in the closing arguments for this matter, uh, which, which one? Yeah, in the closing arguments for this matter, the prosecutor had stood up, and despite the fact that they were talking about how uh, there had been no real threat of force, they had handed a note, he hadn't said, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to but uh, butcher you, uh, anything along those lines, and had just kind of said, like, give me the hundreds, fifties, and twenties, and then said, no, no, not that one, showed a picture from The Shining that said at the top, context matters. Do you want to guess what picture they used from The Shining, Habs? Uh, it's got to be the one where he's sticking his face through it. It's, it's the one where he's sticking his face through the door. The here's Johnny moment. He show, They show that. And the prosecutor says something along the lines of, if you're not familiar with the movie, or if you're familiar with the movie, you know what happened right before this. Trying to make the case that uh, by sh doing all that, the context was that he would use force, despite there having been no indication of that at the time. Now, there was a brief meeting at the bench after that where the defense attorney raised an objection, said that was not appropriate, specifically because... Uh, you know, everyone knows The Shining, and everyone knows that right before Here's Johnny, you're chopping through a door with an axe to murder Shelley Duvall, as one does. Um, and that it was not a, not good to put that in there. Uh, the, the court offered a curative instruction, which, uh, Habs, you want to explain what a curative instruction is? Uh, so that's often an instruction of the jury where they'll say something to the effect of, it, 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 it more, I would think it mostly, most often comes up in uh, motions to strike where question is asked to the witness, the witness answers it, and the attorney, after the answer's already come out, it says, well, I want a motion to strike that from the record, and the judge has to say, tell the judge, that answer should have never been given, therefore you should not um, consider it when you're going back for deliberations. Now, the obvious problem with that is you can't unring the bell. There you go. Once you hear it. It's there. You tell a layperson, no, 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 you can't, you can't use that piece of information. Of course they're going to fucking use it. That's what always happens. Uh, I just got tipped $25. Thank you very much, Ash. What you're not seeing, uh, Habs, is... Um, 
Well, first of all, what you're not seeing is me not transitioning over to so the chat's all over the place. Is a nice little uh, animated gift that I have of a badger riding a censored eggplant uh, across a snowy plain as the background screams in an anime voice, I'm going to come, ah, my big penis. Uh, just just want to throw that out there. That's what, what was over the end of your statement there. Lovely. Great. I'm, I'm, so, <laughs> happy. I'm so happy that happened. Let me just let me just leave. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, the high class. You're on the high class one tonight. Yeah, clearly. So they offer they offer the curative instruction. Uh, the judge actually says, in my experience, when we offer curative instructions, what tends to happen is it just kind of reminds the jury they heard that thing. Uh, and the defense attorney agrees. The jury deliberates. They convict uh, the gentleman of robbery. He gets sentenced to 14 years in prison. Uh, they appeal it by saying it was improper. Habs, what do you think the outcome of that case was? Uh, if the, the, the higher court is saying it was improper, it's going to get remanded right back to the trial court, and they're going to say, you got to do that trial all over again. Correct. That's exactly what happened. Uh, the reasoning given was actually that, uh, not what you may have think, thought, uh, not what, what I initially thought, which would be, would be extremely prejudicial. Uh, but a lot of the reasoning was it didn't comport with the evidence. The The argument didn't comport with the evidence in that matter. It indicated I, a threat of force where none was present. Well, as and as you and I both know when we're doing open and closed statements, you know, we're, we're basically actors. You know, we're, we're presenting, we're putting on a show. So, you know, we can say things in an opening, for example. You know, we may talk about a purple elephant falling, falling from the ceiling. I've, I've or, never, you know, I, I'm never getting away no, from that you, you've one. You've never heard I? that before? Uh, yeah, no, I, I have no clue what you're talking about. I, yeah, de uh -huh. I definitely didn't give that closing argument once. Uh, no, absolutely not. So, you know, we can speak in hyperbole. We can sort of, you know, drum it up a little bit. But when you go and take, for an example, in this situation where, you know, they're just – he's sticking his head through the window and you're putting that picture you're obviously trying to implant into the jury the picture of he's threatening he's gonna shoot the person he's gonna kill them he's doing whatever which obviously doesn't comport with what happened and so when you're taking it that far with that much hyperbole the the court's gonna come back and say well no you're way out of line on that one you're, yeah you've you've gone way over what we can allow you to do here exactly um, I'm, I'm looking for something right now on here that it just, it hit me that I should, uh, I should definitely be using this image at some point. But when I heard picture from the shining, you, you know, what immediately popped into my mind? Uh, I don't actually. Yeah, you don't, you, you, you honestly, you can't knowing me as you know me, you can't think of what picture from the shining I immediately went to. Uh, no, I really don't. Because it's probably going to be something with the bagels for some reason. No, it's not the bagels. Okay. I have more I have more than one joke, sir. I have more than one joke. It's the uh, the furry blowjob picture. Uh. It's it's the furry blowjob. Like, could you imagine? Context matters. Yes, context absolutely matters. The, the, and if the, I never see that picture again, I'll be thrilled with my life. I, I'm glad you said that because right now that picture is what's on the screen. Oh, I know. I, I yeah. have it on my, okay. on my screen. I can see it. Oh. If there's questions coming in, I can't see. I'm just like, you know. I, I, I have the chat up. I'm looking at them. Uh, and, and if you do have questions, feel free to put them in the chat. Just somebody keep track of them because uh, I hate to say it. I'm going to be reading off. Uh, okay, no, that's, that's, I need, I really need to take down the furry blowjob picture now. Yeah. Thank you. Come on, please let me take that down. Let me, what are you doing to me? Stop doing this to me. Uh, so that's a little fun fact is that's the way the law operates. Even though you're giving, as Hab said, a, a performance to some extent, your closing argument, your argument can't step outside of the evidence presented, which as I'm sure Habs will enlighten us as to and discuss with us is what is the jury constricted to basing their opinion on their decision on. They can only, they can only base it on the facts that they have heard at the trial from the witnesses. They are not allowed to use any outside sources. In fact, these are all things that, that the judge will tell the jury is you may not discuss the case with anybody. You may not 
look at any outside resources. You may not go on social media. You may not read news. You may not uh, any any kind of independent research is not allowed at trial. If you during the deliberations, right? If you have personal knowledge of a matter during jury deliberations, but that knowledge is not presenting in the courtroom, you know what you're supposed to do? Not consider it. We ask right. juries to work only in a closed set environment. Uh, where everything, the only facts you have to go on are the facts that are given to you in the courtroom. Now, does that really happen, Habs? No, absolutely not. <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> so, for the for people that don't know, uh, there's a process called voir dire, which always happens before the trial, and that's where the lawyers get to, you know, there's a panel of 50 or so jurors that we get to pick from, and we get to ask them questions. You know, things like, do you know the prosecutor? Do you know the judge? Do you know the uh, defendant? And if it's, you know, for example, if it's a domestic violence case, have you ever been a victim of domestic violence? Have you ever been accused of domestic violence? Things to weed out potential issues with jurors. And so, you know, I'm sure I've had, I've done, what did I do, four trials in my four years as a public defender. I'm sure there has to be at least somebody that's known the prosecutor or the defendant and probably just didn't say anything and has probably been on my jury. So it happens. That's actually a good lead into the first question uh, from my Discord, from my Patreon. This one's from Quaxum Defendida. As a public defender, were you under pressure to close as many cases as possible quickly, even to the point of an undesirable outcome for the defendant? (laughs) Well, you know what county I used to work in. uh, (laughs) So the short answer to that is yes, absolutely. As a public defender, I had probably at any time, I'd say, 40 or 50 active cases, which, you know, you hear, like, there's some counties where, you know, they may have more cases, there's counties and public defenders have less cases, and I'm not working with every single case, every single case, every single day of my life. I may have to deal with four or five or whatever, but the dockets were so huge that, um, you know, there was a, a big push from, there's a big push from judges to have us clear the dockets. There was a uh, push for the prosecutors to offer, you know, well, you know, you just plead to this lesser charge. We'll give you some probation. You know, it'll all go away. And there's a big push, obviously, it's, you know, to tell the person, hey, you know, if you take, if you eat this charge, you know, they'll drop this other charge and you only have to walk away with probation. If you want to go to trial, that's your choice. Uh, but you're going to get hit with the asshole tax if you lose and you're going to go to jail for however long it is that you're going to be dealing with. So, uh, yes, there was an absolute huge push to clear these dockets. I, I love that phrase, asshole tax. The the asshole tax that Habs is referring to is uh, if you look at sentencing guidelines and sentences that are handed down, uh, plea deals versus taking a matter to trial. And there's actual studies done on this. You know, what percentage got this, what percentage got that. <clears throat> By and large, if you take a matter to trial, and you are convicted, you are most likely looking at a much stiffer penalty than if you had accepted a plea early on. Um, now, uh, as that, and it's it's actually kind of a good lead into that, which is uh, from Poochamoo in the chat, what is your take on the Missouri public defenders being ordered to get plea deals instead of defending their clients? So I think... I think more and more that's becoming a general consensus because, as I said, criminal dockets are backed up and uh, cases that are, if you know, if there's a lot of cases going to trial, that's a lot of jurors that the court's going to have to bring in. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of resources, quote unquote, which is that's a whole different story. But, um, you know, in a way, it's almost le- I would almost say it's laziness on the part of prosecutors and judges because pros- prosecutors don't want to take the time to have to make sure their cops come in and make sure their witnesses have to come in because a lot of a lot of times the cop isn't the issue it's getting the witness because you know let's say it's it's a shooting and it's a drug deal gone wrong do you think they're going to go find the you know the guy who got shot because you know he's the victim or whatever he's the witness he's probably he's probably a defendant or a witness in like three other shooting or drug cases so it's it just turns into this big mess so prosecutors have a desire to want to clear all these cases out because they just don't want to deal with it but then they put the pressure on us to say you know you need to get your clients to plea because our dockets are backed up and and this actually happened to a lot of us in the office that i worked in where um so 
part in part of the criminal procedure, there's a uh, day called formal arraignment, and that's where the court says, "Here is all of your charges," and all of the charges are listed, and you get to plead. You can plead guilty, or you can plead not guilty. And you plead not guilty, you're going to go to trial. And there were times where we would go up and we'd go up front and we'd tell the judge what we're doing, and the judge and we'd say, "Judge, we're calling this case for trial," and the judge would be like, "Why? Why on earth would you want to go to trial?" and you know, in my mind, I want to say because my client's fucking innocent. That's why I, judge, but, <laughs> no, I can't say that or I'm going to get held in contempt of court. But so you kind of have to tap dance a little bit and, and just come up with, oh, you know, there's there's suppression issues or there's emotions we want to file or, you know, we're not happy with the deal. And they would actually give us a hard time for calling too many cases to trial because the trial list is, is you know, 200 some cases and they don't want to have to deal with that. So then I have to weigh. You know, my client possibly be may, maybe not being 100% innocent, but I could definitely get reduced charges. And I have to tell them, you know, you can take this nice deal and you can get out of here and just walk away with probation or risk going to trial and everybody's going to treat you like shit, especially if you lose. Yeah. I, I, and, uh, yeah, I, I do some criminal work as well. I view it as a huge failing of the system, the fact that we have gotten to a point where that's, uh, that's what we look at now. It's not... Uh, should the state have to prove its case, it's if you make the state prove its case, we will punish you for undertaking your constitutional right to have your matter heard. Uh, Especially given, and Habs, you can speak very well on this, the funding of public defenders. What? We're totally funded. John Oliver was lying when he did that that whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. you're, You're funded at least as well as the district attorneys, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, they, they got Westlaw. They have unlimited resources. They have all the policing power. Uh, we get Lexus and like, you know, oh, here's like here's some free case stuff. And, and you know, good luck. Best of luck to you. Uh, you know, uh, we, public defenders are horribly overworked, horribly underpaid. Funding is just, is almost non-existent, especially for a lot of poor counties. It's just the whole um, uh, uh, what is, the Gideon's pro- the Gideon v. Wainwright is the supreme court case that guaranteed the right to counsel for all cases it's just it's almost like laughably non-existent well let's uh let's take a brief moment here because speaking of laughable uh you heard about the lawyer who got arrested after assaulting the capitol right uh i did hear about that <laughs> to, to fill everybody else William McCall Calhoun Jr. You always know they're a great attorney when they have three names. It's the three names they inherited from their father. Uh, (laughs) William McCall Calhoun Jr. from the great state of Georgia uh, decided on January 6th that he was going to visit the United States Capitol. Now, he was part of the crowd that, as he described to uh, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, peacefully walked into the Capitol. Now, Calhoun Jr., however, uh, then went on to Facebook, and I want to switch this over, because I want to see Hebs' face when I say the word Facebook, (laughs) then went on to Facebook and said, allegedly, get this, the first of us who got upstairs kicked in Nancy Pelosi's office door and pushed down the hall towards her inner sanctum. The mob with rage crazy nancy probably would have been torn into little pieces but she was nowhere to be seen then a swat team showed and we retreated to the rotunda and continued our hostile takeover of the capitol building you know it almost almost sounds like a bad read from a sequel of 50 shades of gray right like like this guy obviously became a lawyer because somebody rejected his manuscript one time too many um uh, he has now been arrested. He has been charged with entering a restricted building or grounds, violent entry, or disorderly conduct, uh, and tampering with a witness, victim, or an informant, according to filings in the matter at this point. Uh, but it brings up a decent point here. Hey, Habs, as a criminal defense attorney, what was something that you absolutely despised finding out your clients had done? Uh, other, other, yeah, other than the crime itself. 
uh, talking about it to uh, you know on social media, or in the case of one trial I had, going to some other person to be like, "Hey, I just did this. I need help." But that's you know that's a long story that maybe we'll get into tonight. What one of the one of my favorite ones is something I say uh, actually fairly regularly with criminal defendants when they come into my office because they've made just some horrible choices in life and they've ended their horrible choices with deciding to hire me. Um, like, like it's the, it's like a slight slide downhill until they end up in my office. And that's just, that's rock bottom right there. Um, I thought it was the public defender's office. No, 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 no. Like I'll tell some of the, look, I, I speak very honestly when I say the public defenders that I know that I have met are incredibly dedicated people who take their jobs very seriously, uh, and who are not paid enough are given enough resources to give the jobs that they are expected to do to protect the constitutional rights of people in our criminal justice system. Uh, when I hear people say, yeah, when I hear people say, I don't want a public pretender, I tend to correct them very quickly on that. Uh, and the people who stay in it for the long term, the people who have been public defenders 10, 15, 20 years, tend to be true believers. They're not getting rich doing it. <laughs> they are doing it because they genuinely believe in it at that point in time. A lot of public defenders uh, will stay in four, five, six years. They'll get trial experience, and then they strike the fuck out for greener pastures. They're off to private criminal defense or some other area with the trial experience under their belt. You know, much like Habs did. But, <laughs> but it's not even a failing on them. You can't live on a public defender's pay. No, you can't, and it's and it's sad because there is that, like I said, there is a distinct lack of adequate representation in public defender offices, and it's not for the attorneys not trying. I mean, you know, every you're going to get one or two just bad attorneys that can't do their job, but there's just there's not enough time. You know, I'd be staying up till one, two in the morning trying to get all of these cases ready, or you know, blowing a weekend trying to get ready for some trial that was just absolute bullshit and there's no way my guy's gonna win but i gotta come up with something because i gotta make my guy look good and it's just it, you get burned out and that's really what happened to me and and this is actually a good question for something that uh head foxen had put into the questions for tonight uh Habs, in your opinion what is the biggest misconception that the general public has about public defenders i i think the biggest misconception would be that they're fake lawyers they're public pretenders they're what now i've had you know, I could at least 10 or 15 clients that would, you know, I'd be talking to them in jail or whatever, and they'd be screaming at me that I'm not working hard enough for them. I'm not doing this. I'm not asking the right questions. I want a real lawyer. I want a paid lawyer. And when I first started the job, you know, I would actually, I'd get, you know, I'd be offended. You know, I'd feel bad. I'd be offended. Like, what am I doing wrong? Why, why are they upset with me? What, you know, what, am, what else should I be doing? And then you come to realize that they're just, miserable people and they're going to bitch for the sake of bitching and you know by the time i left you know they'd be screaming at me that you know they want me off the case they want a different lawyer they want to pay to turn and be like bye see ya i don't care i have 50 other people i have to deal with you go right ahead uh, i have always liked the i want a real lawyer i want a paid lawyer because i am a paid lawyer and do you know what the response to that is okay can you pay me yeah that's that's some of the in fact where i used to work some of the best lawyers in the county used to be public defenders they went to like some of the lower ranked law schools but everybody wants them because they're the big names and and you know they'll be fine spending five thousand dollars for a formal arraignment plea or something like that and people will just you know they'll do it and they all used to be public defenders that's really where you cut where you cut your teeth for as shitty as the pay can be in some places the experience is absolutely invaluable and that i think is the sole reason why i got the job that i'm working now is because they saw that i have four years of public defender experience and they said oh we don't have to teach him how to operate in court he already knows it here's the law here you go and that's kind of what happened we, we don't have to teach him how to eat shit and like it <laughs> he's he's a connoisseur of the various degrees of shit that he'll be expected to eat uh -huh. <laughs> It yeah. still tastes worse than Life Boy, but that, you know, that's a whole other. <laughs> uh, almost as a follow-up to that, uh, and our discussion about uh, Twitter and uh, Mr. Calhoun, uh, what are the most common things clients have done that ended up sinking their cases? You have a good one on this, and I know you have a good one because I have yelled at you about this case. You you have, because it, it, it directly affected you, so... 
I don't know if it's the most common, but it's it's probably the worst. Is I had, um, I had a client who was accused of hitting his wife, and uh, the whole from the time I represent him, he's you know I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I wanted to go to trial. Well, I'd say halfway between when I first started representing him and his actual trial. His wife disappears because the prosecutor came up to me and said, uh, we don't know where the wife is and we've been trying to get in contact with her. Do you know if your client has, has seen her at all? So no. I asked the guy and he's like, no, no, no. I never talked to her. I'm not supposed to talk to her. Here we come to find out. So we actually ended up going to trial. The wife never showed up. So they were prosecuting my guy for simple in Pennsylvania. It's misdemeanor, simple assault without the wife actually being there. And this refers back to. My comment where, you know, I had the client that went and told somebody else, oh, hey, I'm in trouble. you got to help me out. Um, so I get up. I do my opening statement talking about how we're trying to prosecute my guy and nobody's here. And why are we wasting our time prosecuting if we don't have a victim? She doesn't want to prosecute it. Why should we waste our time? We break for lunch. I'm, you know, at my table and five feet to my left, the jury is walking out for lunch. And my guy leans over and he goes, you have to call my wife you have to have her come in and testify because she'll tell you the whole thing and i'm like so i have to like keep a straight face because you know i i was freaking out because i thought one of the jury members were here so i drag him into a conference room i start screaming at him that i just told 12 people that i don't know that nobody knows what this woman is and now all of a sudden you know i now all of a sudden she's going to come in and testify and the jury's going to think one of two things either i've been hiding the witness which i'm the professional here so clearly they're not going to think that so huh i wonder what they're going to think oh you're the one that's been hiding the witness and that's what was happening he was telling her not to come to court because he thought they would throw the charges out i i i will tell you why this has made me so angry in Pennsylvania, we have something called the Ricker Standard. And the Ricker Standard is uh, at a preliminary hearing, which is the first level. You get arrested, you go in front of a magistrate, you have a preliminary hearing. Now, like, we have grand juries, but the vast majority of criminal cases in Pennsylvania start in front of the magistrate at a preliminary hearing where the state has to put on the prima facie case. They have to basically say, this is what we have against this guy. Uh, nine times out of ten, at the preliminary hearing, the matter gets bound over for court. Bound over for court is just a fancy way of sending, saying we're sending it to our trial court, the court of common pleas, uh, and they'll sort it out from here because there's a criminal matter that requires the court of common pleas. Um, the Ricker standard is a standard that says at that hearing, the prosecution can rely solely on hearsay evidence to meet their burden, evidence that would not be admissible in front of the court of common pleas. So if you have, say, a robbery victim who can't appear, it is enough to have the police officer who took the report come in and read the report of the facts. Even though it's pure hearsay, you don't have the victim or the witness that actually saw it there, it's enough for them to read off those facts to get over the bar and get it bound over for court. Now, there is an exception to Ricker. The exception to Ricker is <coughs> the state has to be able to produce at some point a witness that can provide admissible evidence. All right, So they can say, well, we don't have them for the preliminary hearing, Your Honor, uh, so the officer's going to do it, but we're going to have them at trial. We're going to subpoena them for trial. Yeah. In uh, what, what I call domestic misunderstanding cases, where somebody calls the police and at the end of it, uh, somebody goes to jail or somebody gets arrested, they get charged, uh, but they decide they don't want to go forward. You can always subpoena the spouse to testify. And one of the first questions that I would ask is, was anyone else there? And they say, no, it was just my spouse. So no one else saw it. It was just your spouse. Did you all push each other? Yes. Give your spouse this phone number. And I've given the phone number of another attorney I know because we kind of developed this together. And that attorney would sit down with them and say, huh, sounds to me like it was a mutual affray and they could have charged either one of you. I mean, technically, either one of you could have been guilty. So why would you testify to a crime? Now, we only do this when the spouse is like, I, I don't want them to pursue the matter at all. So we go to the preliminary hearing and when they call the case, uh, the attorney for the spouse will stand up and say, uh, 
After speaking with my client, I believe that they should be claiming the First Amendment. I have instructed them to do so. They are doing so, Your Honor. They will not be testifying. Fifth Amendment. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Uh, they will not be testifying. Uh, and the first few times the prosecutor would say, well, that's fine. We have the officer here. And then I say, Your Honor, if the spouse is exercising the Fifth, it doesn't matter if they have the officer here. Ricker requires that they be able to present admissible evidence at the time of trial. We just heard the spouse say they're exercising the fifth. They're not going to testify now. They're not going to testify at trial. And the state can't make them testify at trial. And nine times out of ten, they drop it right then. Because nobody's going to like be going through all the hoops to give situational immunity for what is normally a simple domestic violence charge. Uh, Habs... In that yes. case, fucked me over. Like, I still got it done, but has like, well, if you're arranging, like somebody cited the case. It was like, well, if you're, if you arrange for their inavailability to testify, then it should be able to get over record. And I'm like, what? This is a new one to me uh, on this situation, on this specific claim. I had to tap dance. It made what should have been an in-and-out for me, like a 15-minute in-and-out into an hour-and-a-half-long preliminary. Fuck you. <laughs> so the backstory is, with that case, uh, because the wife wasn't there to testify, I had said there was somebody, you know, he went to somebody, this other woman that he used to date, and also, two years prior to that, had also beat her up and was charged for that one, um, and said, hey, I'm in trouble with the cops, I just, I hit my wife, like, you gotta help me out. They found her in Florida hold her ass up to Pennsylvania for this trial to have her testify to what he told her. And, you know, that was, that's the missing piece to, to fill in, you know, you know, how did this all happen? And so I filed an appeal to superior court and eventually lost that hearing, but ended up making case law, which as an attorney with not even five years experience under her belt, I think that's pretty cool, but I have a published opinion. And that case is the one they were using against Boozy. And when I found that out, I had a hearty laugh. Sorry. Now, now I do want to point out because somebody in the chat, uh, Head Foxen, is talking about uh, domestic. I, you're never going to meet an attorney who is sitting here saying, "Yeah, domestic abuse is fine. I don't care. We all care, but the nature of our jobs is to represent the client you have." Uh, it's actually in our rules of professional conduct that the representation of a party or a person is not an endorsement of their positions or their actions. The system doesn't work if you just say this person's guilty, therefore uh, they, they're not entitled to a defense. So uh, I, I always like to point that out. Like we laugh about it because if you don't laugh about some of the cases you have, you burn out. You burn out pretty fucking quick. Uh, you know, it's just how it is a lot of times. Um, and now, yeah, now Pope Elizabeth says, don't speak too soon. I've had lawyers tell me 90% of domestic violence is a lie. And yeah, I, I know I know the types of people you're talking about. I, I will never sit there and say 90% uh, of domestic violence is a lie. I've been in PFA court far too often to say that. Uh, but I defend the client I have. That is my job. Uh, that was Habs's job. You defend the client you have, you defend the case you have. If anything, Habs, I would say that you are more honorable than I am on that because you were taking the case uh, as a public defender where you don't really get to choose your client, whereas nope. whereas I'm a fucking mercenary. Um, and I'm just kind of like, I'll defend you, but I'm not shaking your hand when I'm done, you piece of shit. Um, PFA court, Puchimo, is uh, Pennsylvania's version of domestic violence court. It's it's uh, protection from abuse court. <clears throat> Let's see. Uh, we have one more news story to cover. Let's do that very quickly. Uh okay. You hear about the judge in Pittsburgh who had to apologize? Uh, I, yes, I did. It was something on the inauguration. Uh, sort of, sort of. So a judge in Pittsburgh uh, recently had to, do, uh, to make a public apology 
after uh, she exercised poor judgment when she posted a photo of her husband dressed as the U.S. Capitol rioter dubbed the QAnon Shaman. Oh, the, the horn guy. Judge Kim Eaton of Allegheny County's Family Division posted the photo on her private Facebook page. Eaton says she was celebrating the inauguration with her husband when they posed for the photo. In our celebration, she said, I exercised poor judgment, and I realize that the photo sends the wrong message given the tragic events of January 6th. I'm not a white supremacist, and you can quote me on that. What a brave stand to make. I'm not a white supremacist, and you can quote me. I mean, you know, the fact that we even have to be making statements like this in 2021 is its own story, but that's just a matter of, I think, poor, very, very poor judgment. And, And probably was just doing it in jest and probably just to... Uh, of, Make light well, of, of a course. situation that maybe you're not supposed to be making light of, but hey, that that's like I, probably as far as I would take that. I, I don't know Judge Eaton. Uh, I, I did actually when I saw that, I reached out to somebody who does family law in Pittsburgh and like, no, she's she's not racist. She's just stupid. Um, and I'm not I'm not going to obviously not going to name the attorney who told me that basically because they're like, no, she's not a racist. She just has poor decision making skills, which is like the stunning endorsement you want to hear about a judge. Um, <laughs> but. And yeah, but how many lawyers really that have ever gotten a bad decision have a judge aren't like, no, they're, they just, they just make bad decisions. Um, I mean, I said that umpteen times in my four years as a public defender, but. But yeah, every, every decision that a judge makes is, you know, if they find for you, they are bastions of truth and liberty and justice in the American way uh, and very educated jurists. And if they find against you, they couldn't find their ass with both hands. So. <laughs> Column A, column B. Yeah. Uh, Habs, uh, this is the last question from the Discord. Uh, It's from Tezcat the Magic Jaguar. (laughs) Okay. Like, normally, like, if you weren't wearing a giant dog head, I'd be like, well, that's a very professional name for me to be reading off. But, you know, I'm talking to a German shepherd that hasn't blinked for the past 45 minutes, so fuck it. Uh, would you say that as a public defender, you ever experienced significant situations where you were personally affected by the often negative stigma and misinformed opinion of the role? Um, I think it would, I think in the same context as being told that I'm not a real lawyer or, you know, I, I want to get a real, it, it's really more of just a pride thing. Um, and like I said, by the time I was done with that job, I managed to just kind of get over it. Um, because you know, I one, I don't care. Two, I get to sleep in my own bed that night, and that person probably doesn't. And three, I've got fifty other people I've got to deal with. So if you want to hate me, hate me. What, you know, what do I care? Let me. Did you ever actually use that line with a client? No matter what happens here today, I'm going home. Uh, I think one time I said that because the guy was just being absolutely. And so I had a guy that. Um, he was accused of dealing heroin. And to put it in context, they had this guy on, on video. You know, the police were recording him walking out of his house, walking down the street, going to the confidential informant, doing the hand-to-hand where, you know, you know, here's the drugs, here's the money, walking back in his house. And when they go to arrest him, they take him to jail, they strip search him, they find 80 more packets of heroin in his butt cheeks. In his butt cheeks. Not only that, all of the packets of heroin had the exact same stamp as the one that he gave to the confidential informant. Now, um, I think apparently what a lot of drug dealers do, they have their own brand or they have their own stamp. So, you know, they, everybody knows like where it's coming from. And so the, the, the stuff he had on him was the same he gave to the confidential informant. And it was just, oh, I wasn't doing it. I was selling cigarettes. <coughs> oh, I'm dead. I didn't do it. I want to go to trial. You're not working hard enough for me. And I'm like, what on earth am I supposed to argue a trial for you? And I think he had just finally pissed me off enough that I said that to him. And he eventually filed a motion to have me withdrawn off the case, and I couldn't be happier. And he ended up going to trial and then losing, of course, because 
Let, let me ask, because you, you brought that up with argument. What's the argument that you made as a public defender that you're most proud of? That, that like, yeah, at night when you're laying in bed and you're like, did I make the right life choices? Because the answer is always no. Uh, but you, did I make the right life choices? What's the one that makes you all warm and fuzzy inside thinking, but that time I was really fucking smart? So it was the time where I had uh, somebody's DUI completely thrown out from a suppression hearing. He was driving on a highway. He was driving on a highway coming into the county where I was working, and the state cops were following him. And they were actually outside of their jurisdiction because they, the exits on the highway, the, the next exit you could possibly take was one in a different county. So they get off that exit and they kind of take a loop back down through the northern part of the county. And so they're following my guy, and my guy's doing like 35, 40 miles an hour, not speeding, not doing anything. And they, when as soon as they get into the county. They pull him over for DUI, and they're saying, oh, you were swerving, you were crossing the line, you were doing this, and they do field sobriety, and they end up arresting him for DUI. And so he swears, he swore in his life, he's like, I wasn't driving drunk, they shouldn't have pulled me over, like, it was a bad stop. And I said, all right, so I asked for the dash cam video from the cop car, and I pull it, and they're following my guy for five minutes, and the entire five minutes doesn't cross the double yellow line, he maybe touched it once going around a curve, not speeding, uh, they ran his license plate and this and found his address and they go, oh, he's driving away from his house. He's going in a different direction and I'll bet he's going to the local bar to go have another beer. And so, you know, and it's, it's two state cops. And then the, at that point, that's where they, they pull my guy over. And so I made a suppression argument to the judge. I said, judge, there was absolutely no probable cause to arrest my client because he's exercising his constitutional right to travel. He can. So what if he's driving away from home? He can do that even though it's one in the morning. Um, and so the argument I made was the stop never should have happened. It was a bad stop. And all evidence, you know, the, the fruit of the poisonous tree, to use the law school term, should all be suppressed. And the judge said, huh, I think you're right. And told the prosecutor, all of the evidence you have, you, you know, that it all has to be suppressed. You can't use it. And so the prosecutor says, well, I have no evidence. And so all of the guy's charges were dismissed. Did you just say right to travel? I did say right to travel. We do not use soft set terms in this stream, sir. You know what? I don't care because it <laughs> we, fucking works. We do. We do not use soft set terms in this stream. Um, my, I, I guess my favorite was a uh, a gentleman who was uh, obviously using heroin uh, and got popped on a DUI, and they they, they, they you're gonna you're gonna like you know where they were stopped at where. Kensington. Oh, jeez. Uh, Kensington is an area of Philadelphia that is infamous for its drug use uh, and drug trade to the extent that not too long ago there were literal open-air drug markets in Kensington where if you were there, uh, you, you were buying. And the police saw him, saw a transaction, saw him driving away from the transaction, popped the lights on, uh, had probable cause to stop at that point. They'd literally just watch the man reach out of a car window, take shit, and then drive off after being in the area for like a minute. Um, my client, who was definitely, uh, well, I should say allegedly, more than likely under the influence, was not driving in a very good manner, sideswiped several cars while trying to flee the police, disabled his vehicle, jumped out, ran into an alley, and shot up. Uh, they pulled his blood. They did a blood test on him. Uh, which, of course, showed there was heroin in the system. They hit him with driving under the influence. The heroin was the only thing in the system. Uh, do you know what he got charged with? Or what he got convicted of? Reckless driving. You know why? We made the argument of, well, wait a second, officer. You said you, you when you arrested him, he had the needle in his arm as he had just shot up. Yes. So how do you know it was in his system when he was operating the car? It's a good argument. It was. And clearly it worked. It was, you know, you can't, you can't, it's not like drugs aren't like alcohol. The, like alcohol, there's a baseline based on body weight and what your blood alcohol is. They can kind of figure out how drunk you were. Drugs aren't like that. Uh, drugs, the metabolites are all different. Uh, you'll read at different levels of it. So it, it was, it was a fun case. Uh, that client's dead now. Uh, anyhow. Oh, Dad, but. Yeah, sad, but yeah. I had, I think, three clients that all that died in the four years that I was I was up there. Yeah, I mean, it happens, unfortunately. 
uh, certain areas you, you get used to finding out a client has passed on. Uh, cause just kind of like, well, I mean, it's not unexpected. I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not happy, but I'm not surprised. Um, so Habs, we have about eight minutes left. Uh, and, oh, geez, and that flew by. Yeah, it does. Doesn't it? Uh, so, so I got to ask you, uh, do you still make the grape drink? No, I don't make the grape drink, and I'm probably oh. never gonna make it. Unless maybe we're back for oh my god, how how long have we been out now? Seven seven years. No, yeah. we've been out a bit. Yeah. Oh my god. I, maybe I, I, on our maybe on the ten year reunion if we do uh, that, we'll I'll, I, we'll, I, we'll have I, some grape drink. Explain. Let me explain how it was in law school with us. We would finish our finals, and the people who lived near campus, we would choose someone's house, and like we'd finish our finals at like noon, noon or one in the afternoon. And we would go over to somebody's or, house. And, or if you were a certain person, you were done at like 1030. But that's a whole other yeah. story. Uh, and we would immediately start drinking. Like the bars and liquor stores around our school were aware that during finals week, on the last day of finals, they were getting slammed with law students looking to get drunk. We'd start drinking at like one in the afternoon. And Habs one year decided to make the grape drink. Habs, what's in the grape drink? So the grape drink is water, sugar, invisible grape cool, clear grape Kool Aid, and the shittiest fucking vodka you could buy. Which I think at that time I was buying like Vladimir or something. And I'm Vladdy. Yeah, we're, buying like, we're buying like two handles of this shit. Like it tastes great, and you get fucked up <laughs> real quick. So we we ended up drinking grape drink at like two in the afternoon in someone's apartment. We got shit faced. Um. Uh, that was probably my favorite part of law school was the after finals drinking. But outside of your birthday, your birthday was always. I was going to say, not my twenty fifth birthday. Yeah, your your, bir- your birthday was a blast. Your birthday where I had to, I had to play dad. Yep. Yeah, we we bunch of lawyers in a room. We've been out drinking all night. We go back to somebody's apartment. Uh, somebody's pants came off, um, and then two guys got into a fist fight and slammed themselves through the door to the water heater. At which point, I stood up from the couch and said, "Well, shit! Now I got to put my beer down." <laughs> was that the same birthday where I was at the, where I got thrown up on the hardware bar? Oh yeah, yeah, that was the one. Cause cause that was the one where somebody iced me. And I, I did it like they, they gave me an ice. They're like, you got to get on me and chug it. They turned around to get everybody else to pay attention. I was standing, by the time they turned back around, I was standing up with an empty bottle of Smirnoff ice. I'm like, you did that fast. I'm like, I've been drinking a long time. <laughs> so the, the hardware, the, the hardware bar was this bar in downtown Harrisburg. And it was great because they had 25 cent well drinks on Fridays. Well, we go out for my birthday and there's a barber chair on the bar and it, it's like 15 or 20 bucks. So all your friends pay up for the money. They drag whoever it is up onto the bar and put them. Well, no, I got, I got to, I got to remember how this goes because I was, I was pretty fucked up. But they put you uh, in the barber chair. I, I, I wasn't that fucked up at that point in the evening. They, I, they, I, they I was, me. I was being responsible. You were, <laughs> but they, they drag you over to the barber chair. They put you in the barber chair, and um, I got straddled by one of the female bartenders who was actually quite attractive. Now that I think about it. Uh, she poured my liquor of choice, like basically held my mouth open and poured it down my throat, pulled me out of the barber chair, took my belt off, proceeded to whip me with it, then put me on all fours, rode me across the bar, and then kicked me off the bar. We're lawyers. We're lawyers. <laughs> we're lawyers. Um, like, I, I always remember because you were like, I'm going to the hardware bar, and I was sitting like, huh, I didn't know Phil was gay. Um, but... <laughs> Oh. Well, I, mean, I, don't uh, anybody, I don't think anybody knew, but hey, I didn't say anything. Well, no, no, like I, I'm gonna tell you about third year. I'm like, yeah, he, he, he ain't ever dated anybody. <laughs> so, like I've I've never seen him with a woman here. <laughs> but oh, so yep. that that'll bring us into the last four minutes. Uh, any messages you want to give? I, I, I'm trying to keep an eye on the chat, but I couldn't see a lot of the questions. Yeah, like, if you have any questions, now's the fucking time to ask them, because we're in the last four minutes, folks. Oh. Uh, law school was fun for us. I, I have to say, law school was fun. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it greatly. Uh, I, I especially... Looking back, it's not so bad. Yeah, like, like 
after the fact. After while we were there, it was horrible. Uh, Lee Mark Whipple would like to know if you have read Stephen King's Roadworks. I have not. You have not. Uh, Hayes says, "Who's a good boy? Is it you?" Also, hi, a fellow Kentucky fur here. Uh, Habs is not from Kentucky. Uh, no, I'm not from Kentucky, but you, yes, I am yeah. always the good boy. Yeah, different, different. I know the hardware bar you're talking about, Hayes. Different hardware bar. Uh, was Habs a furry in law school? Uh, no, no, I was not. Yeah, I can answer that one. Uh, as a matter of fact, when Habs joined the Furry Bar Association, I had his his contact information in my phone under his real name. So when he joins the Furry Bar Association with his actual cell phone number, uh, I immediately sent a message, Hey, how you doing? <laughs> And, and here's me, like, down in D.C., about to get sworn into the uh, Supreme Court of the United States, and I'm like, fuck. I'm like, god damn it. That was literally my reaction. Oh. Uh, uh, so, Habs, uh, uh, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me at, at HabsTheShep on pretty much um, Twitter or Telegram or for Affinity or whatever else is furry related that I use. Which I well, ma- make sure now. you t- give everybody your grinder while we're here. Uh, you're very funny, which I don't actually have that anymore, but thanks. <laughs> I like the anymore. I've just got to. Uh, Pup, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Folks, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, we will be back next week. Uh, when I say we, I mean me and, and likely someone else. Uh, if you're welcome anytime you want to be on, Habs. Uh, I'll be back next week with more of the Legal Funhouse. Uh, tomorrow night, we will, be, at 7 o'clock, be back with the normal streams. Uh, as always, if you like to support, if you want to support us, you can always do that by subscribing, by tossing your bits all up in my face. If you want to see Habs lick the camera one more time, now's the time to do that by going to boozybadger.com or streamlabs.com slash boozybadger, looking at the merch and sliding a tip into the bank account. Boop the snoot, everybody. Uh, or by going to patreon.com slash lawyers and liquor and becoming one of our monthly supporters. And if you don't want to do any of that, that's perfectly fine. You don't have to worry about it. I do this because I like to speak with you and bring you some enjoyment and enlightenment to your evenings. Uh, Habs, final words? Bark. Bark. Uh, I am Boozy. This is Habs the Shep. Thank you for joining us, and you have a wonderful evening. Good night. Good night.